Bill, a.k.a. Corinne. And I'm Alex Berg, and you're listening to the I'm, I'm from, from Driftwood, Driftwood Podcast. A few years back, I'm from Driftwood sat down with Joseph, a gay man whose actions as a bully led to some very important self-realizations. Let's listen to his story. I was a freshman in high school, and I was very happy because I was lucky enough to be sitting with a bunch of upperclassmen girls. And... There were three of us there, uh, me, a friend of mine named Janetta, and a friend of mine named Bridget. And a friend of theirs passed by us, and his name was David. And David was like the out gay guy from our high school. David was, was very flamboyant, to put it mildly. Um, David was the kind of guy who would wear Daisy Dukes to school and, you know, like, ultra tight shirts and you know he's one of those kinds of people we used to say back in the day it was in the crystal closet you know you didn't have to ask you could just see right in and that was David and David had come by to talk to Janetta and Bridget and and then he left and as he left I I came up or I might have already been there but I said oh my god he's just so disgusting and my friend Janetta looked at me and she said what did you say? And I said, you know, he's so disgusting, the way he acts, the way he just prances. It's just, it's just uncalled for. And she looked at me and she said, wow, Joseph, I thought you were better than that. To have somebody who, who I respected, who, who, you know, I'd only known for a short period of time, but had become a, a good friend of mine, to the look of like hurt and disappointment in her face really showed me that this like casual hom- homophobia that that I had been cultivating it's just it's it's not cool and it doesn't need to be done and it, and it, you don't need to do that to to have friends or maintain friends and you know that's that's, that's really powerful um you know and and you recognize that having gone through that it just makes you realize that you know, oftentimes, like some people who are who are the most virulently homophobic are, are just trying to hide something about themselves. You know, even though I was a freshman in high school, I knew I was gay at the time. I had known for quite a bit of time that I was gay. I had knew earlier on, you know, when I was in middle school and, and kind of starting to figure out what, what might be my story, that it was always far easier to make fun of like gay kids or gay adults, but always get a good laugh. And, you know, I guess maybe subconsciously, I also thought that people wouldn't think, you know, that maybe I was one of those people too. You know, later on, after I reflected on, you know, what Janetta said to me, I kind of figured out that I don't need to do that. Um... And I promised myself from that day on, I wouldn't make fun of anybody for being gay as a way of trying to hide who I am and, and cover who I really am. You know, if, if you know, you're, you're dealing with those feelings and, and you just have to, you know, accept them and, and, and deal with them and, and making other people miserable um, because you feel that you might become more miserable if, if people knew, um, is really, is really cowardly. And you spread, you, you end up spreading hurt in a way that, that, that people don't deserve and, and that you have no right to impose. So I would hope people would, 
would kind of, I don't know, maybe use me as a cautionary tale. Because I think eventually, you know, you, no matter who you are, you'll get it. And, and, and you'll be ashamed. Um, and so the earlier you can kind of change that, the better. When I heard the story, I was really taken by, first of all, I was really happy to hear a story of someone who actually bullied, not the person that was being bullied, but the story of someone who's bullying. Because we often hear about the person being bullied, right? We hear about that often. Very important. But I think it's also important to speak to and hear from people who have done bullying and have, who've actually sat with themselves, reflected and understood why they would take part in that sort of behavior. I think one of the most important aspects of this story for me was hearing about how Joseph was working through his own sexual orientation and working through the homophobia he'd been exposed to by doing the same exact thing himself. And to your point, I really appreciate that we got to hear about the evolution of how he learned and changed and grew to realize that what he said was really wrong and that it was coming from this place of fear and alienation as a gay person himself. And I love that idea that as a young person, you have the opportunity to learn, you have the opportunity to change, and you can also repair any harm that you caused as a young person in that way. I feel like that idea is really important. And also it just speaks to that point that so often as LGBTQ people, we really internalize those messages of hatred ourselves, and it can just come out in such ugly ways like that. So I just liked it because I think it's really amazing when someone can admit the ways that their behavior was troubling in the past right. and how they learned and did better. And then also for him, how it was really part and parcel with the kind of homophobia that he experienced too. Up next, we have Olivia, a trans woman whose story we filmed in partnership with the Gay Alliance of Genesee Valley. She told us about a cyberbullying experience in high school and how much of a difference just one supportive faculty member made in her life. I did the very unique thing of transitioning from male to female in high school. I, I really came out around my senior year, and uh, things actually went pretty well. I mean, I mean it, was, it was turbulent at first, but uh, eventually towards the end of my high school career, I was out of Olivia, changed my name, pronouns, the whole shebang. One of the worst periods in that time was actually after I transitioned. I had uh, gotten out of class, started walking home, and uh, got to the door, set my bag on the counter, Got a little bite to eat, went up into my room, got on my computer. I wanted to write a quick paper that I'd been procrastinating and uh, ended up doing more of that procrastinating on Facebook. I'd made a, a status about uh, my boyfriend at the time. It was mellow. It was nothing obscene. Just, you know, I was really thankful for him. Well, this kid who was a grade below me, I never really had a real conversation with, but it was name. He decided to get on his computer and um, must have come across this, this, this post that I made and decided to start writing this awful like tirade on me. Everything from calling me it and, and a thing to uh, talking about my, my parents and, and how you know, no father could ever be proud of a thing like me. I didn't want it to bring it to anybody. I didn't want to seem like I was weak or hurt. And his friends started doing the same thing. Uh, everything from weird personal messages to uh, like the occasional text or prank phone call. I had friends who were furious, but uh, I felt so, for the first time, like passive. I'd really taken the wind out of my sails. I tried to confront him in the library once. 
I felt this obligation to, to have a conversation with this kid. I wanted to, to, to tell him that you know, what he did was completely unnecessary, and that if I did anything to, to ever upset him, like, I just want to know. He ended up just walking away and brushing me aside. I followed him for a little while, tried to flag him down, like, hey, seriously, I just want to talk. Honestly, I think that scared him. Because, I mean, he, he got out of there quickly, his buddies and all. And I'm sure behind closed doors, they were happy to make more you know, mean remarks and insults. But uh, they weren't going to do it to my face, which is what I would have appreciated. At least have the courtesy to do that. I think the kid ended up getting suspended, but by that point in time, I'd, it didn't matter. Uh, whatever punishment you give a kid like that at that point, I found that... Um, you know, it wasn't going to change his worldview. So th there, was, there was this teacher in, um, in high school. When I first got there, I found that the high school had a GSA, a Gay-Straight Alliance. And this was the first time I really had an opportunity to meet people who were, like, out of the closet and my age. You know, I, I got there the first meeting, and I met the advisor for the club, Mr. Aykroyd. Mr. Aykroyd was the first person I talked to after the cyberbullying incident. And he seemed really upset by the situation because he cares about his students, obviously. Um, Mr. Ackroyd and I just talked. Just, we just talked. We tried to figure out a plan of action. Like, what are we going to do next? What am I going to do next? And he, I don't know, he, he, he took care of me through high school. He had my back. He was one of the only adults I could trust with, you know, my identity and where I was going to be going in the future and, and who I was. If you're going through anything like this, you feel like you're alone, you're not. No matter where you are, there's always going to be a resource. And that even though there might be a lot of negativity that catches your attention, there will always be people who are good and who are kind and who can empathize with your situation. All you need to do is have the courage to reach out to them. She basically was navigating a lot of this bullying on her own. And this teacher was the reason why she was able to finally, you know, make sense of it and also not take it on in such a way. And I think that that just kind of leads me to one of the takeaways that I wanted to mention, which is, I feel like this is a kind of metaphor for some other things in life, but you should, people should look for the helpers, look for ways to be supported and find community to help you when you're in a situation like this. Because I think that part of bullying that is really, really tough for people is the isolation, is the feeling alone, is feeling ostracized, feeling outside of a community. That's the part of it that can be really, really damaging, I think. I also just don't know how young people deal with the internet today. I know just like when I was a teen and, and having to deal with in-person reactions and people talking behind your back and picking yeah. up the phone and calling people and that bullying was so intense. So also just hearing her story, it just, it sounds so terrifying and harrowing when now people can take a lot of this really harassing, horrible behavior online. So Definitely finding that helper, finding those adults that you can trust. I feel like that's so important. Were there any other ways that these stories resonated with you personally? I think that we don't think about what happens sometimes to a person. So if I come out as trans and my mm. family is just shutting that down, that's a form of bullying to me as well. You know, I feel like that's not really seen as bullying, but I feel like that's also bullying. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's not something that gets associated with bullying so much. 
That's such a great point. Well, I'm really excited to continue to dig into this topic even more. So to help us expand on this and the many layers of it all, we have a pleasure of welcoming to I'm from Driftwood radio producer extraordinaire, Nico Whistler. Welcome. Yeah, it's such a thrill. I'm never a guest. So it's so fun. I know it's, <laughs> the tables, the tables have turned, you know, what do I do in this? <laughs> <laughs> well, it will be fun. And on that note, I want to jump right in. So for our listeners who are new to you, would you mind telling them a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. So I am Nico. I do many things. I do make radio. So I host and produce a podcast for the Heritage Radio Network that's called Clear the Table. And that's kind of my like by night and by day, I teach middle school. I teach sixth grade in Philadelphia. Lots of talking all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it, it sounds like it. Yes. <laughs> you know, I'd love to talk to you a little bit about the work you do with podcasts. So you produce a lot of podcasts and do a lot of radio work. Is there one piece in particular that's meaningful to you or that you're most proud of? Mm, that's a great question. There are, there are two that stand out. They're different. But this past year, I produced an episode in partnership with a show called Bodies, which I would highly recommend. And I had known for a really long time that I, in making a show about queerness and food, wanted to make an episode about eating disorders and about the trans community specifically. And I knew that making it was going to be really hard because I had an eating disorder for a bunch of years in my early 20s. And so I, yeah, I just like felt really, I didn't really know how to do that kind of storytelling. It's kind of how I feel about being a guest. I'm like, I don't know how to talk about myself. I know how to interview other people. But so I reached out to the host of Bodies, Alison Berenger, because she had done some really just like vulnerable, powerful person, personal storytelling on her show. And so we ended up collaborating to produce this episode called Changing Shape. And I learned so much and I got to kind of, Allison joked that it was like free therapy for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I got to really, yeah, unpack so much. So that I'm really proud of. And then the first episode of Queer the Table that I ever did was it's called a footnote not to be forgotten. It's the first episode of the show. And it's looking at three riots really, or actions that happened before Stonewall. So in the kind of late fifties to late sixties, all led by queer people, mostly by trans women of color and all in like late night restaurants or diners that were open in gay neighborhoods kind of after the bars closed or were spaces for younger queer people who couldn't get into the bars to be. And it just felt really special to kind of think about and and to start the show from a framing around like, what does it mean to share space and share meals and just really think about like the power of that, especially I think for queer people who are so often like we're building our own families and food traditions. So those are the two that stick out. I love that it's about food. One of my favorite things. Yeah, it's so much my love language. (laughs) (laughs) On today's show, Phil and I listened to two stories surrounding the topic of bullying. And I'd love to get your take on this subject and the different layers that we explored, especially since you're an educator. Is bullying something you find yourself talking about a lot? Yeah, I do. I find myself talking about it a lot. I find myself, it's different every year. Sixth grade is a funny a funny year to teach where sometimes they come in and they feel a lot older. They feel a lot like Mm -hmm. middle schoolers. And in other ways, they still feel really little and 
really like impressionable and sweet. That's the kind of year that I'm having this year where I have a lot of conversations with my kids around bullying. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's that they've been isolated from each other for so long that they like really appreciate each other, but it's not happening. They're so sweet with one another. And at the same time, really like love to dive into topics of, yeah, both day-to-day bullying and just like big social justice topics. This week we are doing the Black Lives Matter at School Week of Action. And so every day I'm doing a lesson plan about different guiding principles of the Black Lives Matter movement. And today we were looking at the principles of queer affirming, trans affirming and collective value. And they just like hearing them talk about just the ways in which they want to be allies and accomplices and talking about their own kind of intersecting identities. I right now feel a lot of hope around teaching middle school. And I think some years it, it does come up and it's really hard. And, and it's a lot of what I think was in those stories of just like kids trying to process the trauma that they've received. And so I think we can start talking about how to deal with that and and kind of interrupt it, the better (laughs) is what I feel like. But it definitely feels like way less than when I was in middle school. Like I don't really hear kids tossing around like that's okay or, but at the same time, some of it is, I hear like coded language and coded homophobia or really trying to get at like, well, where did, what is that coming from with kids? Mm. In one of our stories earlier, we heard about a queer person bullying another queer person as a way to cover his own queerness. Have you ever heard that firsthand? Have you ever experienced that? That's a great question. I'm trying to like really dig back. If I do, it's repressed, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Understandable. I don't know. I don't think so, but I, I can relate to the like, I, I can relate to the Peace and Joseph story around being out with my own queerness I don't know if I ever bullied anyone or said anything to or about someone, but like really seeing my own internalized homophobia and transphobia come up when I would see someone who was like farther along and being comfortable with themselves or was yeah. just like mm. up more space than I was in a moment. I don't know if, I, I mean, it is, I guess, a form of bullying to like really distance myself from someone or kind of try to isolate from someone or not want to, associate with them that's definitely something that I engaged in of just a like oh I'm not comfortable enough to be like that queer yet or whatever that was so when I heard that that resonated with me of like that protection piece of wanting some space from that yeah I mean I can definitely relate to I the distance piece I feel like when I was a teenager I would make pains to be like uh, to be very vocal about liking boys all the time, you know, just so that I could be like, no, me, like, like someone of a, a gender other than male, you know, like, no, not me, who, what, you know, like, I feel like in that way, then kind of feeding into these like troubling attitudes almost indirectly in that way. So just what you're saying resonates with me a lot. I feel like I also just experienced like garden variety bullying growing up. And I feel like almost everyone experiences, I don't know anyone who hasn't felt bullied or targeted at some point in their life. I mean, especially among LGBTQ plus folks. And then the other story we heard was from a trans teenager who was really viciously cyber bullied. And she talked about that harassment from a particular boy and even attempted to confront that bully to no avail. I mean, did you ever have any experiences like that where you had to deal with a bully who you then tried to confront or 
I mean, can you even remember those kinds of experiences? I don't know if I ever tried to confront a bully. Like, I feel like I remember being really, the the time that sticks out of being really bullied or like kind of isolated was was middle school, was like sixth grade. And I just didn't, there was so much that I didn't understand. A lot of it around my own gender identity. And it wasn't something that was like, really articulated to me other than like I could really tell that people were distancing themselves from me and I didn't know why like I felt really on the outs and really left out and just really weird all the time and I but I didn't ever try to confront anyone about it like I can just remember like people give me it was a lot of like dirty looks or eye rolls when I would make a comment more than anybody calling me names or saying anything to me And I don't think that I ever tried to confront people about it. And then when I was older and and when I was like out, I wasn't really bullied, but I just had friendships. And I kind of was like, well, if you don't want to be my friend anymore because I have a girlfriend, then fine. And I, yeah, I sometimes see that that was like, maybe I came out as queer, like my freshman year of college. So that was a couple of years after high school that that happened, like 2009. And I sometimes now like those people are grown up and I see them like posting things in solidarity with queer and trans people. And I, and sometimes it's enough to see that. And other times I wonder like what Mm -hmm. it would be like to have a conversation, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I like didn't have the emotional energy for it then. And I probably don't now, I guess. For real. (laughs) As an educator, I just want to know how involved and aware of cyberbullying our schools, would you say? Hmm. I would say schools are aware, but I think not involved. Like it feels, and it feels wild because cyberbullying was happening, you know, 10, 15 years ago when Mm -hmm. I was in high school, probably even like when I was in middle school and we were on AIM, for sure it was happening. And it feels like schools really still haven't figured out how to Mm -hmm. regulate that. I don't know if regulate is the right word. And I certainly don't want to feel like I'm big brother to my kids. But beyond I don't I don't think we have great solutions beyond talking about it and trying to make kids aware. There have certainly I think been like conversations with kids when you know, if I've had a student come in and say this happened on the group chat, and they know like to screenshot it and to talk about it. And then we can have conversations about it. But it, it does still feel like a space that that teachers and administrators are really far removed from and where kids are really, really vulnerable and it's changing all of the time. Like yeah. there are new platforms all the time. And I don't know, in some ways I think, yeah, like kids find ways to be mean to each other and it's not all that different. And in other ways, kids will acknowledge, like I'll say things online that I wouldn't say in person. Mm-hmm. Um, which again is nothing new, but but yeah, I don't think that we've figured out as schools how to really manage that. And I feel like even with adults and online platforms, I mean, adults are equally as terrible to each other. Adults who know better are are awful to each other. And I feel like this is both such an interesting and fraught time with social media, just because right now I think of young people having access to so much amazing information when you're talking about your podcast and talking about the uprisings that happened before Stonewall, I think like, wow, how incredible would it have been to have access to that Mm -hmm. as a young person? And I think just even to 
Tumblr and to different kinds of identities and be able to have these conversations and find community online. And then the other hand, it also does feel like social media, this this behavior can really go off the rails on social media in terms of bullying. And it is really hard to even track and navigate. And it just, it sounds so challenging, you know, as an educator to have to navigate all this. So I guess one thing I was wondering is, I mean, do you think that bullies grow up and change or do we bully differently as adults? I, I think some bullies grow up and change. And I think, yeah, culturally, adults do it all the time. And I think also kids see that, you know, like kids really. And so it's hard when you're getting messages of, and I think kids are really open to messages of like, be kind and respect one another. And, and then at the same time, like to see adults being really shitty to each other is... <laughs> not setting a great example. So I think, yeah, we, we certainly bully as adults. And I would say, yeah, there are definitely ways in which I prefer hanging out with my sixth graders. Like they're just so refreshingly curious about people and want to do the right thing. And, and I think really see themselves as like the grown-up world looks messed up and we would like to build something better. And I think that's true and, and real. And I think as much as, as educators can do to not shy away from those conversations with them, because I think that's where you get into it or where it feels really punitive if you're only having conversations with kids about bullying in terms of like, you're going to get in trouble if you do this, rather than like, how do you want to feel in community with other people? And yeah, I, I think the ways that kids are really... One thing that I was really struck by was, I don't remember what we were talking about yesterday, but we were having some sort of conversation around difference. And they were all like, I feel like the message that I got as a kid was like, don't point out difference. Don't talk about it. It's rude. And they were really able to go to a place of like, yeah, people are different and you should notice it. And tolerance is a bar that's basically underground and like our job is to celebrate each other and that just felt so different from what I got growing up. I think your sixth graders have a right grown-ups can be messy I tell you <laughs> say that they certainly can. Oh yeah. Uh, like, and it makes you know better and they can be messy there's no doubt about it. So you know what would advice would you give to like say one of your kids came to you and they were being bullied like what mm -hmm. would you say to one of your sixth graders? I think I would, if I had both of them, like if I had both the kiddo and the bully or they were both in the school or whatever it was, I would really try to talk to them separately first and then eventually to like, I was wondering in Olivia's story, like what it would have looked like to have someone help her have that conversation. Like what a brave thing to try to confront someone. And I think as a teacher, sometimes my job is to like be an advocate for, for a kid in that conversation. So I think more than what I would say for them, I would ask them, say to them, I would ask them like what they needed and wanted. And if they wanted to have that conversation, I would want to either help them prep for it or, or be there in that conversation as a supportive adult and then figure out from there, but centering it around like, well, what do you need to feel safe right. in this community again? And I think just also affirming for them of like, it's your right to feel safe. It's your right to feel valued. And like, let's do everything that we can to build 
that feeling back up. But yeah, I have that hanging. I have like in my classroom, I have a wall of, and I have a bunch of just a list of like, here are things that are always true. And the first one is you deserve to feel safe and welcome here. And so that always feels like we have that. And so we can always start there when stuff happens as it inevitably does. As we begin to wind down, I would love to hear what's coming up next for you, Nico. What else are you working on? I, I guess I'm trying to figure out what I want to be working on. I'm, I, and you all are probably feeling this so much too, but I am feeling really tired by making a podcast on Zoom. And I just want to be like up in people's spaces, especially with something as intimate as food. And so I, I guess what I'm working on is rest. <laughs> I'm resting. That's a, that's a worthy endeavor. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. <laughs> um, I, yeah. So I'm thinking about like, what will I want to do and what kind of stories will I want to tell when I'm able to kind of be back and share space with people again? Yeah, I love that. I want to be back in spaces with people too. I've almost forgotten what people are like. I, I have no idea. <laughs> like I know what, what everyone looks like in a square, like outside of squares, like, you know, I don't know what that, that is anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm trying to figure that out. Can you tell people where we can find you online, like social media wise? So you can find me on Instagram at Nico Whistler, which is W-I-S. L-E-R, and there's a link there to Queer the Table's Instagram, which is at Queer the Table. And you can listen to that anywhere that you listen to any podcast or on the Heritage Radio Network. Well, Nico, it was so nice to get to chat with you, both just with your perspective as an educator and also from all of the stories that you've done. So thank you so much for joining us to talk about such an important topic. Yeah, thank you for having me. This was so fun. from Driftwood podcast is hosted by Phil aka Corinne and Alex Berg and is produced by Andy Egan Thorpe. It's recorded as a program of I'm from Driftwood, the LGBTQAI plus story archive. I'm from Driftwood's founder and executive director is Nathan Mansky. Its program director is Damian Middlefeld. I'm from Driftwood is a nonprofit organization and this podcast was funded in part by public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council. Additional funding is provided by TD Bank and Heritage of Pride New York. I'm from Driftwood was created to help queer and trans people learn more about their community, help straight people learn more about their neighbors, and help everyone learn more about themselves, all through the power of storytelling. Our score is provided by Elevate Audio. The stories you heard today are available in their entirety, plus thousands more at I'mFromDriftwood.org. You can also follow I'm From Driftwood on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Or subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, y'all.